Good morning, church. Great to see you all. Welcome to Union Chapel today. This is the day the Lord has made. We're rejoicing and glad in it. Glad you've chosen to be with us today. If you're online today, thanks for uh, joining in. It's good to have you with us. We're so uh, happy. I confessed last week that this uh, series of messages we've been doing have really been opportunities for me to get some stuff off my chest. And today, there's, uh, there's more, even more method to it. I, I want to get us ready. I want to get us ready for what God has for us next. And I'm very, very excited about next week. For example, we're going to start a series on dangerous prayers. And today's the power of receptivity. So I want to just nudge you a little bit today just to encourage you and inspire you to, to hear what God is saying and to enjoy what God is doing in the life of our church. Let me, now let me just make a prediction. The year 2022 is going to be the most effective and fruitful year in the history of our church. We are going to see amazing things happening through the life of our church next year. I'm convinced of it. And so I want us to get ready. I want us to really get ourselves prepared for what God has for us because the best is yet to come. I believe that. Amen. So be encouraged by that. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn then today to the book of Nehemiah. This is the Old Testament, of course. And Nehemiah reports a very important season in the life of Israel. And I'm going to read verses 3 to 8 from the 8th chapter of the book of Nehemiah. Let me set this up. For, this is just after the Israelites have come out of 70 years of Babylonian captivity. So they've been away from their homeland They've been away from the worship of God. Uh, dust has been collecting around all of the activities of worship. And now Ezra the prophet has led people uh, in a renewal of their faith. They've assembled now and they're assembling for one of the first times that they've all returned to Israel. And this is an occasion when Ezra is reading the law before them. And I hope it encourages you. Our custom is to stand here, God's word. Thanks for doing that as you're able. Here's verse three. And he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. And beside him on his right stood a handful of guys and... And on his left were a bunch of other guys. <laughs> and Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites a handful of them, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. And may God inspires today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Now, if I, if I let you settle for about 30 seconds and I didn't say anything, uh, I can predict what would ha happen. Some of you would start checking your phone. Perhaps you're already doing it. I don't know. Checking Instagram, Twitter, if you're that old, 
and out of date Instagram and Twitter <laughs> joke. Check, checking out Snapchat with the volume turned down, TikTok. If you're old enough, you might be reading an email or checking a text. I wonder who's here and literally you got up a little sluggish this morning, a little tired, and you came in a little tired. Uh, I walked through the coffee shop a minute ago, you know. Folks said, you want us to be awake through the service? We, then <laughs> we got to wait for the coffee. Maybe you're already glazed over. You know, that's Pastor Greg. You know, we hear him all the time. We've heard him many times before. You know, ho-hum. Trying to get comfortable. This may be the best chance you have for a nap. You've been busy all week. This is the first chance to really sit down and rest and relax. I met a couple with a newborn last week, and, and they're carrying this baby. He's a couple of months old, and... I said, do you have a good baby? And they both went, no, not a good baby. <laughs> Bags under their eyes, you know. Then that, the husband says, you know, the only time we can get him to sleep is in church. I said, well, I have that effect on people. It's not uncommon. I said, please feel free to sleep with them. Sleep when the baby sleeps, right? So if it's in church, go ahead. You have my permission. Some of you uh, maybe are visiting, maybe online, first time you've checking us out. You've uh, heard about Union Chapel, maybe that preacher there. If you've come on our campus today, maybe you're a newcomer. You've already started to scrutinize and judge and maybe even find fault with what's going on here. You've already started a list. You walked in the front door and you expected a certain kind of greeting and you got a different kind of greeting, so that kind of threw you off or... You walked into this space for the first time and maybe it was too dark or too light. The music started and it was too loud or too soft. You looked around and people were too casually dressed or not formal enough. On and on the list goes. Um, the worship, you know, is a little too freestyle, not structured enough. You know, and the cross was... Yeah, what the hell? Where there's no cross. Where's the cross? Not even a church, I don't think. So everybody's got an opinion. I remember as a young man attending a special service which featured a preacher that I'd heard a lot about and formed an, a, an opinion already about this person. And I sat in the back with my arms folded and my mind closed, waiting for the guy to confirm my already formed opinion. And it was really annoying because everything he said God was using to speak to me <laughs> challenged my faith and build my character. It's really amazing the kind of attitudes we can take into a service or a conference or even into our daily lives. What if we lived every day expecting God to use every moment and every connection with people to speak a truth or provide some kind of shaping quality to the Christly character of our lives? What if we lived that way? What if we were receptive to the moments of our lives that God allows us to experience and that God is actually at work in all of those moments, seeking to bring good from them? I want to just mention a few things about receptivity today. Here's the first one. If you have your 
app open, you can find this on the outline. Receptivity reflects generosity. Now, I want you to think about that. It's extremely generous to live your life in a receptive way. I mean, giving someone your hearing, giving your time to someone, that's a very generous thing to do. Uh, look at this verse in Mark chapter 4. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So here, in, this, in this scripture, there, there's a reference to hearing, to listening, to paying attention. Anyone has ears, let him hear. Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, in other words, the same measure that you offer the generous, generosity of your hearing, the time and attention you give to the hearing, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. So here, here is Mark reminding us that if we'll give attention and that we're re receptive to what God is trying to say to us, no matter who the speaker might be, no matter where the hearing comes from, it comes, we can grow from it. And that it will actually, as, we, as we're generous to hear, as it turns out, regardless of what a person is saying, there's something that you can learn from just about everybody. Regardless of their worldview or their position on a particular subject, there's something you can learn from everybody. People accuse me all the time of saying things that I'm sure I've never said. It's interesting. The reason I know that I've ne never said it is because they accuse me of saying things that I've never thought, never crossed my mind. So I'm pretty sure. This happens to, you know, when you're in public speaking, this actually happens a lot. And so it's fascinating to listen to people respond. I mean... You know, someone may come up between services after this service and say, you know, that story you told about the little boy and his dog, that was so moving, so meaningful. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Knowing full well there's no boy and a dog in the sermon. Just not there. It's amazing how teenagers manage to miss what is said and how they hear things that are not said. And, and so... Not being too accusatory of teenagers, I remember when our boys were teenagers, they would try to get my attention. They'd say, Dad, 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 and I'm not listening, and then they use my name, Greg, and they, you know, so I snap out of it. So I, you know, I'm just as bad as anyone else. But children really are ready to be trained. Think about it. They're quick to learn. Languages come very quickly to them. Receptivity is childlike anticipation, if you will. Let me, let me try to try for an, a, de a definition of what I'm talking about today. Receptivity. Look on the screen with me. It's quickness to receive, a desire to be stimulated, easily trained, ready to respond. I don't know about you, but I love being around responsive people. I love being around a responsive church. I love that. Years ago, I got invited to preach at Peoria First United Methodist Church, Peoria, Illinois. The reason I accepted the invitation was because a good friend of mine, Dr. Ira Galloway, pastored Peoria First United Methodist Church from 1984 to 1999. And in those 15 years, Dr. Galloway, who was a very effective communicator, very passionate follower of Jesus, faithful to the gospel, he began preaching the gospel in this high steeple, you know, stuffy shirt kind of, kind of church, downtown church in Peoria, Illinois. And people began to respond to the gospel. And I knew these stories. Dr. Galloway's in heaven today. And I knew the stories and how, how warm that season of his life had been and how many stories he could tell. And so when Peoria first called me, I, I agreed to go. 
Beth and I were there, for, uh, of course, for the, the both morning services. And the first service was at 8.30. And we arrived there early. And the first service in, at, at Peoria Church is in the old traditional sanctuary. Beautiful sanctuary, big wraparound balcony, beautiful windows, you know, the pipe organ, the whole thing. Very gothic. Lots of dark wood everywhere. And, and it, was, it was just kind of fun to be there. You know, it's kind of nostalgic. You can smell that musty in the air <laughs> sort of thing. And I had very low expectations. You know, the 830 service at First United Methodist Church in the traditional sanctuary. And there were some gray-haired persons there uh, greeting us as we went in the door. And I thought, well, this will be interesting. And as the, as the church filled up, it, it turned out that the 830 service was the biggest service of the two. And there were about 350 people or so in that traditional service, and 90% of them were over 70 years old. So this is 300 really old people <laughs> in the room. And I got up to preach, and I just thought, well, we'll get through it somehow. And to my amazement, Beth and I commented on it, and we still do to this day, how warm and how gracious and how receptive that congregation of people were to hear the gospel. It was really amazing. They were much more receptive in that service than, you know, down in the fellowship hall, second service, you know, where all, where all the young families were gathered. I would much rather preach to that old group in that church, at least that day, than the, than the younger. And it was so impressive because it's so unusual, isn't it? Because it's harder to stay receptive as you get older. It's harder to stay engaged and harder to stay hopeful and, and innovative and creative and imaginative as you get older. I, I wonder uh, how many folks have taken your children or grandchildren to Disney World. I mean, it's a big event, right? Maybe the event of the year or the event of their lives and you save and scrimp, and you get ready, and you go to Disney World. What if you, what if you walk into Disney World, and your eight-year-old son looks up at you and goes, I don't like this. I want to go home. I mean, how would you respond to that? Well, after I smacked him, I would, <laughs> uh, I mean, touch him gently on the head and said, now, son, uh, maybe you haven't realized where you are. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> The statute of limitations has expired. You can't get me for the way I raise my own kids. It's too late. Plus, at this point, they'd lie for me anyway, so. So don't bother. No, you, you would say, what is the matter with you? This is Disney World. This is the magic kingdom. <laughs> this, is, this is where children beg to go. This, is, this will change your life. <laughs> what do you mean you don't, want, you don't want to be here? I love hanging around people who are wide-eyed. I love associating with wide-eyed people, receptive people, uh, curious people, ambitious people, spiritually hungry people. You know, every time we gather, it's up to us to decide whether this is going to be just an okay experience or an average experience or a dynamic life-changing experience. It's really up to all of us. It all depends on our level of expectation and our receptivity. You know, how wide-eyed are you? How much wonder is left in your soul? How hungry are you to discover the richness of God's work in the world 
and his wonderful purposes for your life. How open and receptive are you to that? Do you enjoy getting your mind stretched and your spirit built up and your emotions moved by the great things of God? I, I, I want to know about that. Are you, are you curious about that? Are you open-minded to that? It's the same attitude that filled a little man in the, in the scripture called Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax gatherer. He was, he was despised by his fellow Jews. He was given authority by Roman government to collect taxes, and he had enriched himself on the backs of his fellow Jews, and they loathed him. They hated him. I mean, he was on nobody's favorite list. And so he's this little man, you know, probably smug and pernicious and just, just nasty and can take whatever amount of money from you he, he chooses. I mean, he's just, a, he's an enemy. And he hears that this young rabbi Jesus is passing through his town. And so the Bible reports that he climbed up in a tree so he could, so he could get a better vantage point from which to see Jesus. And so what would cause him to do that? Apparently, he's curious. He's inquisitive. He's interested. He's hungry. Maybe he's desperate. He's desperate. And he climbs this tree to get a glimpse of this young rabbi. And Jesus sees something in his receptive spirit that makes Jesus want to go to his house. And so Jesus says, listen, come down out of that tree. I'm going to go to your home tonight for dinner. Now, Jesus spends an evening with Zacchaeus and his family. He doesn't go home with the mayor. He doesn't go home with the superintendent of schools. He doesn't go home with the, the, the most prominent socialite in town. He goes with Zacchaeus. Why? Why does Zacchaeus become a magnet for the attention of Jesus? It's very simple. It's because he's so receptive. He's so interested. He's so open-minded. He's so curious. He's so expectant. He's so hopeful. He's so needy. He's so desperate. And listen, Jesus always flows to that kind of attitude. It's like low pressure in the atmosphere. That's where the wind blows. The lower the pressure, the lower the resistance, the more the wind flows to that. And the same is true in our spiritual lives where there's openness and receptivity and even a hunger and a thirst and a desperation for more of God. That's where the spirit flows. And that's why Jesus went with Zacchaeus. It's the same desperation and excitement and hopefulness that filled the lives of four friends of a paralyzed man. Remember this story in the New Testament. There's a house that Jesus is in. He's teaching from that house. The house is completely packed with people. And outside, there's no room to get their friend, this paralyzed man, into the presence of Jesus. For these four guys, they haul his his uh, paralyzed self up on the roof and chop a hole in the roof and lower their friend down on ropes into the presence of Jesus. Now that's, that's anticipation, isn't it? That's expectation. That's hopefulness. That's receptivity. Do you realize that worship could be like that? I mean, what would happen if worship, worship every week was filled with people who were that receptive? I mean, everyone arrives on time, engages fully, and then leaves when it's all finished. Amazing. It'd be remarkable. Now, listen, I get it. I, uh, I've been alive for 66 years. I've been a follower of Jesus for 50 years. I was baptized as an infant 
in the Presbyterian church. I don't know if I've ever said that out loud. I was baptized as an infant, as a little baby, newborn, in the Presbyterian church. So I was baptized into the, the frozen chosen. It's just amazing to me. Reformed theological tradition there. Presbyterians. Baptized. It's a wonder the ice wasn't frozen over. Everyone's sense of humor is a little bit more nuanced, apparently. <laughs> when I was eight years old, the Presbyterians couldn't manage to keep the doors open, so they closed the church. One of my earliest childhood memories was when I was eight years old, I was on my bicycle in my hometown, and I had ridden down to the location of my Presbyterian church to watch them take large equipment and knock it to the ground. I can, I can still visualize that and describe the details of that day. And at eight years old, I can remember thinking, this isn't good. They're tearing down the church. It was, it was painful for me at some, some level. So that's when we became Methodists. Presbyterian church was gone. So we became Methodists. We started going to the Methodist church. And, then I, and there I discovered that the Methodists weren't particularly faithful at preaching the gospel. So people from outside of our Methodist church had to come into our church to tell us about Jesus. This happened when I was 16, and that's when I became a follower of Jesus. And at that point, I became an independent. But shortly after that, I became a charismatic Pentecostal and got caught up in the charismatic movement. And then I then I went off to seminary and got some training there. And by the time I finished seminary and entered into full-time Christian service, I reckon I had become a Methabaptocostal. <laughs> which is what, what I am to this day. Amen. I've been in so many services, so many conferences, so many groups, so many events. There's no way to calculate it been a follower of Jesus for 50 years. So don't hear me being critical of people coming to church not necessarily all stimulated and worked up and ready to go because I understand. I get it. I simply want to stretch your hearts so you will become as receptive as possible to God and his work in your life. Now, this text that we read from Nehemiah 8 is an amazing moment because they built a platform Ezra stands up, they've blown the dust, they found the old scrolls of the laws of Moses. This is the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so Ezra stands up in front of this reassembled people in Jerusalem and he opens the scrolls and he starts reading and people spontaneously respond. They stand to their feet. No one told them to stand up, they just did. It was an act of respect and honor and submission to the loving authority of God's word in their lives. And so they stand to recognize that authority. And as Ezra starts reading the scripture, they start worshiping. They're raising their hands. Amen. Amen. Yes, Lord. Yes. We want to hear the words that you have given to us through your prophet. And so they are, they are worshiping. And then spontaneously as the reading continues, they fall on their faces. They're prostrate on the ground. They have their face on the ground. And Ezra reads the laws of Moses for hours. And they're in a state of revival and renewal and worship. It's amazing. 
It's amazing. And all Ezra had to do was open the book. All he had to do. All he had to do. Open the book. And worship begins. Spontaneously. Respect and honor to God and his word. And physical, physical expressions. Prostration and lifting of hands and words being expressed to God. Ezra just stood up and he said, the word of God, praise be to God. And people just stand up and they begin to worship. What if every church in the world had receptivity like that? What if you come in and the, pastor, the priest gets up, the pastor stands up and says, here's the word of God for the people of God. And people just explode with worship. That'd be something. I promise you that's the way it will be in the, in the eternal kingdom. I promise you this scene will be played out every day in the eternal kingdom. There'll be worship like this every day. And that leads me to this second idea, that receptivity changes the atmosphere of your life. Now, I want you to think about this. You say, this is so simple. This is, so, this is embarrassingly simple. Listen, it's profound. This will change your life. As a parent or grandparent or pastor or leader, I can change the atmosphere of my home. I can change the atmosphere of my office. I can change the atmosphere of any meeting I, I'm in by being wide-eyed and expectant of great things. Let me remind you of something. The pastor, as good or enthusiastic as he or she may, might be, or the worship leader, as energetic or as gifted as they might be, won't determine the spirit of a meeting. With God's help, Everyone's open heart, anticipation, participation, wide-eyed receptivity to the Holy Spirit's work is what will make the difference when we gather. All of this is about prepping us and preparing us for what God has for us next. I can't wait till next week to start talking about dangerous prayers. I, I just can't wait. It's going to be great. So you can make your preacher better by your receptivity. Now, an amen could have gone right there, and you, it would have been helpful, like encouraging, but you missed it, so we'll just, I waited, but nothing. You can make your teacher better by your receptivity. Can I get an amen from the teachers? You can make your coach better by your receptivity. You can make your parents better by your receptivity. You can make your boss better by your receptivity. You can change the atmosphere of your life by your receptivity. So let's take responsibility for the atmosphere in our church. Let's take responsibility for the atmosphere of our home and our schools and our businesses and our community. Let's take responsibility for that and say, listen, listen, God, God is in control and we are submitted to him and his good will and plan and the best is yet to come. Let's be optimistic and enthusiastic and hopeful about tomorrow. Let's be receptive to what God is saying to us. Now, that leads me to the third idea. It's on the outline there. And this, this is very important. Receptivity will open doors in your life. Now, listen to your pastor. We talked about Zacchaeus. Look at these ver this verse in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. Look at this verse. Now, this is the Apostle John prophesying in the spirit, referencing some of the churches of Asia Minor, the first century churches, and singling out these churches. And they're described. 
This, and one of the churches are described this way. God says to them, I know your works. I can see them. I know your works. I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Now, this is the, isn't the only time in the scripture where we see this, this phraseology. When I first saw these phrases in the scripture, that God will open doors for us that no one can shut, I received that promise. I've spent, I've spent 50 years following Jesus believing this to be true about my life, that God will open doors that no one can shut. In other words, God will give opportunities and God will give connections and God, God will give associations, doors of opportunity, doors opened up, doors of influence, doors of opportunity to preach the gospel and take the gospel to here and there, places around the world. That God will open doors of opportunity that no one can stop, no one can shut. That's, that's a powerful promise. That may not seem like a big deal to you. This is a big deal to me. I often talk about living under an open heaven. This is what I mean. Doors are open. The doors of heaven are open. The doors of opportunity are, are open. God goes before us opening doors. It's a metaphor for his provision and his, and his influence in our lives. It's a powerful, powerful thing. I love this whole concept. Just a, f a few months ago, a young woman came to me and said, I attended your church when I was at Ball State University. And she said, you would you would occasionally preach about living under an open heaven uh, and that the blessing of God will flow to you if, if you. if you meet the conditions that God mandates in your life. And she said, I heard that. And that, she said, that got in my spirit. Now she's, she has a family and she has a ministry. And she says, from the time that you talked about living under an open heaven, she said, I have lived under an open heaven. I see the opportunities that God gives me supernaturally, and I walk in those things. Thank you for sharing that simple truth with me. This, this is a, such an important concept. And so here's another example of it. Now see the words of it. Look at the verse on the screen. I have set before you an open door no one can shut. Now here are the qualifiers. Watch. You have a little strength. So you're alive. You've got a little strength. You're breathing. You can do something. So, so there you are, you're alive, so you're available. You have kept my word. In other words, you haven't compromised my word. You haven't discarded my word. You haven't questioned my word. You recognize the authority of my word. You kept my word. It's not a big deal. Apparently it's not easy because lots of people in our culture today who name the name of Jesus, leaders in the church and on and on it goes, have compromised the simple truth of the scriptures and no longer believe the word of God to be true and authoritative for our lives and practice and faith. So Jesus just looks at us and says, look, one of the qualifiers of living under an open heaven and having open doors before you is to simply honor and keep my word. And then the last caveat is you have not denied my name. In other words, if you maintain a posture that says Jesus is Lord, Jesus is my life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's my hope. He's my savior. He's the one I need. He's the one I worship. And so you simply have not denied the name of Jesus. You put him in his rightful place. Jesus is Lord. 
And so these are the simple qualifiers. You got a little strength, you keep God's word, and you honor the name of Jesus. God promises that a door will open before you that nobody can shut. Now, I've lived my life, I've lived my life with open doors, and I've seen lots of, oper- lots of chances to shut those doors. Like the devil tries to shut those doors. Other people try to shut those doors. There's all kinds of obfusc- obfuscation and criticism and hassle and, and resistance and buffeting and all kinds of temptation, all kinds of forces that come against what God wants to do in your life. But here's the truth of it. When God opens a door, nobody can shut it. It is a powerful thing. And so I have and we have influence and kingdom influence in the world that we could have never managed by ourselves, never arranged for ourselves, never accommodated by ourselves. And the reason for that is because God has opened doors and continues to open doors so that we just walk through them. God's promise to open doors. I love this. So if you live your life wide-eyed, receptive, enthused, you can be sure that doors will open for you. That's just part of the deal. You can expect that. You know, and I'm looking for someone to hire and one of the candidates is already in the church and volunteering and and giving their time and talent and treasures to the work. They have an advantage in the hiring process, for sure. If they walk into the interview just like, like they just got out of bed, and don't have three seconds of enthusiasm and optimism and energy over the course of an hour of an interview, then I just let them slumber back home and back to their mother's basement. Just stay there. Not going to work here. Because receptivity opens doors. Are you listening to your pastor? Living your life looking for and expecting and anticipating and hopeful and realizing God is at work and I'm receptive. Lord, you get up in the morning and you say, Lord, please order my steps today. Help me be alert to any appointment that you have ordained for my life today. Help me to be receptive to what you are doing and what you are saying. Receptivity opens doors. That means there's no room for mediocrity, no room for status quo, going with the flow, this lame same tame expectation level and lame, same tame results. Too many people live in that kind of context. Now, this may sound like a simple, maybe just too simple for you, but it's profound in its implication. People don't realize how familiarity and going with the flow is stagnating their lives. It happens all the times. And the older you get, the more susceptible you are to this. This happens to everyone. We had a We had a young man who attended our church when he was a student at Ball State years ago, and he always sat on the front row. Now, he had a a number of physical handicaps, and one of his handicaps was he was legally blind, so he couldn't find his way to church. I mean, one of our loving parishioners grabbed him up, brought him to church every week. Where do you want to sit? I want to sit in the front row, and he would sit front row center every week, and this boy was receptive, and he was enthusiastic. Now, he had, he had all kinds of physical challenges. But when the music started playing, this boy would sing. And he sang at the top of his lungs, every note of every song. And because he's on the front row, I was always within 20 or 25 feet of him, and I could hear him perfectly. 
All those years he attended our church, he never hit one note. <laughs> Not one. And he wasn't even close. He literally would throw the worship team off. The music would start, he would start singing so loud, off key, that you could see people in the worship team going, and they would lose the melody (laughs) sometimes. Very enthusiastic. Well, that young man got his degree at Ball State. Then he found himself a wife. He has children. He has a career. If he walked in here right now, you would go, how did he do that? I would never predict that for him. Here's my point. I'll put it on the screen. If you live receptive, then your desires will always be greater than your obstacles. Are you listening to me? If you live your life optimistically with receptivity, anticipation, hopefulness that God is going to go before you, that you are going to have doors open of opportunity before you that no one can shut, and you are, you are hearing God's words, and you are hearing his voice, and you are walking in his ways, listen to me. God has a great plan for you, and there are going to be doors opened in your life. There are always obstacles when you're serving God, always barriers, always hassles, always challenges. That's part of the deal. Blind Bartimaeus, he's a great example. He's one of these New Testament characters. Jesus is passing through his village one day, and this guy's blind. His name's Bartimaeus. He's blind as a bat. And, and so he hears that Jesus is coming through town. And he is receptive to what God might have in store for him. He's hopeful. Do you, you understand? It's a blind guy. And he's desperate. And so the crowd is gathered and Jesus is coming through. And, and blind Bartimaeus knows Jesus is within earshot. So he starts yelling, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. And his friends immediately try to silence him because embar- he's embarrassing them. He says, shut up, you fool. You're embarrassing us and yourself. And the more they tried to silence him, the louder he shouted, Jesus, son of David. Now, how did Jesus respond to this, this screaming blind guy that everyone's trying to, Trying to, trying to quiet, this hungry heart, this desperate plea, this act of receptivity. How does Jesus respond to that? We already know from Zacchaeus, Jesus' tendency toward low pressure. And he immediately stops. Cynics all around, religious people all around. You know, you may be a religious person in the room right now, and this whole service has made you just nervous as a cat. It's so good for you to be nervous. Let me just remind you what the most proper thing in the world is, a cemetery. I could go on about that. If you genuinely live your life receptive, then your desires will become greater than your obstacles. Are you listening? When you follow Jesus, there'll be many barriers placed in your way. But if you remain receptive and you persevere over every obstacle to experience God's best plan for your life, he will be with you. Now, I know some of you have been through a lot, and you've been hurt and wounded, and, and, 
and you've been abused, you've been victimized, and it's a real story, and it's real pain, and you've got real scars to show for it. And I get it. I understand. I can intellectually comprehend that you have been damaged and wounded and hurt. And having said that, even though I can't identify with your level of pain, I just, I know I can't. I want you to hear me say I'm not dismissing it. I know it's real and it's deep. Having said that, listen to me carefully. If you choose to live in that wound and live your life victimized, you will never find God's best plan and will for your life. You'll just never get there because God's not, God's not about victimization. God's about healing and restoration and a hopeful future. You see, you're bound for an eternal kingdom where, there, where there's going to be no more pain, no more wounds, no more grief, no more darkness, no more abuse. None of that is going to be there. You're headed for a kingdom that is fairer than day and that all the tears have been wiped away from our eyes. The best is actually yet to come. The, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and might have it in abundance. God has called you to greatness. God has called you to purpose. God has called you to destiny. God has a plan for your life, and you can't live in your yesterdays if you're going to embrace God's helpful future. So be encouraged to know that he's with you and he'll take you from where you are to that hopeful place. So you've got to be receptive. You've got to receive. You've got to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Yes, God, I need your help. I need your strength today. I need your grace. God, God I, want to, I want to receive all you have for me so that I can become all you want me to be. Here's the best prayer I've seen for a while. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Very simple. Be Lord of what's left of my life. It's a good prayer, isn't it? Be Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is in control. Jesus will, I say yes to. Be Lord of the rest of my life. Now listen, you may be 80 years old and you say, well, okay, be Lord of what's left. You may be eight years old. That's still a good prayer. Be Lord of the rest of my life. You know, you may be eight years old, but God knows you're only going to live to 10. Nobody's guaranteed tomorrow, right? If you're eight years old, maybe you're only going to live to 10 years old. It's a good prayer. Be Lord of the rest of my life. Serve Jesus. It's the best way. Living this way gets harder, though, as you get older. I'm 66 years old on the, on the outside, but I'm not that old on the inside. Temptation's there to say, you know, I put my miles in, I should back away and let the younger people have it, right? You know, retire to Florida and complain about the government full time. <laughs> Let's go to Florida and just send checks back. <laughs> you know, take up a rake, chase children off your lawn. Let's get off of my grass. I refuse to be the grumpy old pastor who keeps talking about the good old days. Not going there. The, the guy that was here and spent 40 years, he might be inclined to that, but as your new guy, I have no inclination at all to be that guy. I refuse to be part of the problem. I'm going to be part of the future. And by the way, age is just a number. You do know that, don't you? It doesn't have to define how you see the world 
and the God-given role that he has given you to play. Only two kinds of people at Union Chapel. Now, lots of kinds of people. Two kinds of people that, in this context, there are people, there are people who are young and there are people who are young at heart. So let me remind you, God is at enmity with the status quo. God never gets stuck. Like some of you are stuck in 1984. God did not get stuck there with you. Unstuck yourself. Some people are stuck in 1999. Oh, 1999. If I could just go back to 1999. That was my best, best year of my life. Hey, dude, wake up. No, no. The best is yet to come. Pay attention. Don't get stuck. See, God is constantly moving and probing and initiating and creating and innovating around the promulgation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what he does. He's at enmity. He's at odds with the status quo. He doesn't like status quo. We love status quo, especially when we love it. We like it the way we like it. And when it's the way we like it, we want to stay right here the way we like it. But God... God never rests. He never stops and goes, there. Let's stay here forever. (laughs) No, it's not going to happen. The only way you will finish well then is by staying receptive to his voice, receptive to his activities, receptive to his plans in the world. I want to be a leader who sees the word open and people's hands go up. And, and people saying, amen, thank God, praise the Lord. He is present among us. He is at work among us, and he has got great plans for our future together. That's what I want. Do I have any friends in the room at all? I just wonder. And so finally, this last point is receptivity triggers action in your life. Ezra 7.10 says, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach it. God bless him, Right? God bless Ezra. He prepared his heart, he studied, he prepared, and then he did his work. He got ready, he sought the word, he practiced obedience, he lived his God-ordained purpose. Praise God, good for him. How about that? Here's a guy who got it right. Isn't that that cool? That is so inspiring. I mean, we read his story today, let's just, let's give him props. Someday when I meet him, I'm gonna go, Ezra, you're the man, way to go. Awesome job. But there are enemies to our receptivity, as I mentioned, familiarity and complacency. You know, Jesus went to his hometown, this is recorded in Matthew 13, to preach in his hometown. It didn't go well. Because no one could get past the fact, that not that the carpenter's boy? Now he's supposed to be a big shot? I don't think so. I went back to my hometown to preach. I did that once. I thought that I could do what Jesus couldn't do. But it didn't work. You know, I, I stood up, you know, we got a big growing church and here I am, hometown boy made good, got up in my home church and I want to challenge these people about Jesus. They saw a little boy and all they heard was, isn't he sweet? Isn't he nice? We're so proud. We're so proud of you. You're so, so nice. Gee, I got to get out of here. This is crazy. It's impossible. Familiarity does it. Hurts and wounds and offenses, I've described those. Lack of expectation. Psalm 62.5 simply says, Yes, my soul, find rest in God. Yes, my soul, my hope comes from him. Can you receive that today? Your tomorrows rest in a hope that does not disappoint because of God's goodness and faithfulness. 
And he has plans for you, a purpose for you, a destiny for you, if we'll stay receptive to his voice and his ways. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these examples today, these models. Help us, God, by your grace to continue to receive everything you have for us. Make us a receptive people who believe that you are going before us, opening doors that no one can shut. And in this way, Lord, may we be found faithful, hopeful, receptive to your word. Thank you for everything in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us?